Mets, for the first time since May, have won three consecutive games after finishing 6-19 and in June. That six wins in June is the second worst in Major League Baseball behind only the Royals. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. For Mets discussion, we're now joined in the sports zone by Brian Salvatore of Amazing Avenue. And, uh, Brian, good to have you on the show once again. Uh, the Mets, of course, not a good season. in the bottom third of the National League in offense, pitching, and, and most defensive metrics. Is there one thing um, amongst that group of uh, you know kind of ineptitude, unfortunately, offense, pitching, or defense that surprised you the most? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Bob. I always like talking with you here. Um, I would say of those three, the pitching is the one that if you had told me before opening day, you know, the Mets pitching will be this bad, I don't know if I'd have believed you. You know, they brought in Justin Verlander, a you know, a surefire Hall of Famer. They have Max Scherzer, who last year was one of the best pitchers in baseball and has been one of the best pitchers in baseball for a decade or so now. You know, they have the number one closer in baseball, Edwin Diaz, lined up to end the games with a flourish and the trumpets yet again. And, you know, whether it's ineffectiveness from Verlander and Scherzer for the first part of the season, the injury to Diaz. I mean, there was one point where four-fifths of the projected starting rotation were on the injured list for the better part of a month. And so the Mets just, they have not gotten anything out of their starting pitching really over the course of the first, you know, half of the season. And then when you, when you take away their closer as well, it means that everyone's role gets bumped up in the bullpen. And so not only are you not having the best closer in baseball now, well, the guy who was supposed to be your seventh inning guy is now your eighth inning guy. And when the starting pitchers were only throwing three and a third or four and a third innings, the bullpen is getting overly taxed. And so, yeah, I would say the pitching has been the biggest disappointment thus far, although there is some competition there because it has been a relatively disappointing season for the Mets overall. In addition to what you mentioned there with the pitching, is there any chance that there might have been at least a hangover from last season when the Mets blew the double-digit lead and lost in the postseason to the Padres? Um, I don't know about that. Possibly. What I would say about the end of the last season is that it's really more of an Atlanta Braves story than it is a New York Mets story. If you look at the Braves from end of May of last season till the end of the year, they went on one of the best runs in the history of baseball. And, yes, the Mets did lose a lead, but the Mets did not play terrible baseball down the stretch. They, they faltered a bit. They, they did not play to the standard they were holding through July and August. But they were still playing, you know, above 500 baseball. It's just that the Braves were so, so good. Now, they did certainly falter in the playoffs, and, you know, that, that, that is there's no excuse for that. However, I think this season's problems are wholly different than last season's. And unfortunately, I think a lot of them point to maybe a loss of the clubhouse for Buck Showalter. You know, um, he's a manager that's very well regarded among baseball people, but he's never been able to bring his team all the way. He's never won a World Series in all of his years as a manager, even though he's had some great, great teams under his tutelage. And, uh, you know, between the ineffectiveness on the field, a seeming loss of the, of the clubhouse off the field, I think Showalter is is on borrowed time. I, I think based on what Mets owner Steve Cohen said in a press conference last week, that may not come till after the season, but I would be truly shocked if Buck Showalter okay. is managing this club next year. Okay, you're kind of stealing some of my thunder here from, you know, from you know, 
But uh, that's no problem. Brian Salvatore of Amazing uh, Avenue is currently in the sports zone. Okay, you mentioned Cohen. He had the press conference last week. He constantly used the word patience. Were you surprised at his approach? Um, A little bit. You know, he's a guy who has made a lot of managers angry, owners angry, rather, because he is willing to spend in a sport when there has been this understanding that teams just shouldn't spend that much. And no one really knows what the rule is, but everyone seems to operate under these shadowy suggestions and all that. And Cohen doesn't do that. Cohen was willing to spend big, big bucks to make the Mets great. And you would think a guy who was that committed to winning would also be that committed to making a change midseason because if it's for the good of the club, I think he would be able to make the mental argument, okay, I hired this guy, but I'm going to let him go because it's good for the club and we want to win. But what I'll say about Cohen is he's never been able to find a president of baseball operations. He has really wanted a high-level baseball man or woman to be sitting next to him, talking to him about what needs to happen. He hasn't really had that. You know, his GM, Billy Epler, is, was sort of a last-minute choice because there weren't others available after former Mets GM Zach Scott was released from his duties. And so it, it just seems like Cohen doesn't have the confidence on the baseball side that he has on the ownership side. And so I think because he doesn't have that confidence, he is willing to give those people a longer leash than maybe they would be getting if he had a president of baseball ops sitting next to him who could maybe help him realize some of his goals a little bit more strategically and a little bit quicker. Okay, so it seems you know, mathematically unlikely, but do Buck Showalter and Billy Epler need to reach the postseason for them to return next season? I, I think so. Billy Epler, I think, might have a little bit more of a, uh, of, a, of a leash with Cohen, in part because the rumor has been, since Cohen came on board, that he really wants Shohei Otani on the Mets next season. And Billy Epler is one of the people who brought Otani to the Angels from Japan. And so if Cohen feels like Otani has a connection to Epler, I wouldn't be surprised if Epler gets a longer rope. But I do think that they hire a president of baseball operations to oversee what Epler is doing. In terms of Showalter, I think if he does not make the playoffs, he is out as Mets manager next year. And honestly, the way he conducts his press conferences right now, it seems like he's looking forward to not being the Mets manager anymore. Yeah, his teams, um, I don't think there's been many of them that lack attention to detail, but I've watched plenty of Mets games this year, and they seem to do some things that you just don't understand what they're doing, uh, fundamentally or intelligence-wise, so forth. Do you see that same thing? I do, and what is especially frustrating about that is the core of this team is very, very similar to last year's club. And last year's club seemed to me, even though every team makes errors, every team makes mistakes, but they just seemed to be a team that was very, very focused and that was very, very resilient. And I have not seen this club this year be as focused or as resilient as last year's was. And I don't know what it is to blame for that. It's the same coaching staff for the most part. It's the same player personnel for the most part. Uh, especially on the defensive side. And the defense this year has been atrocious, as you mentioned in our open here. Um, I I don't know if it's um, just a a cascading effect where when the starting pitching doesn't do well, the, the players in the field are frustrated and not as focused, whereas last year they had such good starting pitching 
that the innings were moving quicker, perhaps, and the players didn't have as much time to sit and think about what they were doing and then lose mental focus. I don't know what it is. It's incredibly frustrating, and it's something that I think the next offseason is going to have to really take a long, hard look at is, is there a way to improve this team without getting rid of some of its core pieces that are signed long-term? Okay, so they're 39 and 46, third, fourth place. Obviously, they're way behind, 18 games behind the Braves in the uh, in the East. Six and a half out of the uh, first NL wild card spot. What would they need to do to make a run at that wild card before the trade deadline? Uh, I think a couple of things. The first thing, and this has started to happen a little bit, is a sort of uh, coalescing of the starting pitching. You know, Max Scherzer pitched last night, did not look fantastic, but gave the Mets a solid effort. Justin Verlander's now had a couple of decent starts over the last few weeks. Um, Kodai Senga has been pitching on regular rest and has not been imploding the way he was on regular rest earlier in the season. And it looks like the Mets are about to get Jose Quintana back pretty soon. And so when you when the when the starting pitching goes six innings, the Mets tend to win the game. I don't have the number in front of me, but they have an overwhelming success when the Mets starting pitching goes six or more innings. So if they can get their starting pitching in line, that allows them to have their bullpen line up the way they want to, and it hopefully will give the lane to guys like Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor to do what they have to do to score the Mets a couple of runs. The Mets have not had trouble scoring runs this season, but they're often giving up so much more than they're than they're scoring. If that starting pitching can right the ship, I really do think the Mets have a shot at the playoffs. But I think the wild card is the best they could possibly hope for. I think the division is already out of out of the question for them. Is there any way that Cohen and the Mets would trade Scherzer or Verlander before the August first trade deadline? So Verlander, I'm going to say no, because Verlander ha- is on a two-year contract with an option. So the Mets have total control of him next year. Scherzer has an opt-out after this season. And, you know, he has not looked his best this year. And so I think he may be smart and might want to just take the money he's owed for next season and not opt out. Um, but I could see the Mets, if they got wind that he was going to opt out anyway, possibly trading him. However, I think that you're going to look at players like Tommy Pham, who has, they met signed as almost an afterthought this offseason, has been a real, real nice surprise. I think you're going to look at Brooks Raley, their lefty out of the bullpen, and maybe David Robertson, uh, their, their current closer, as the folks that are more likely to be traded. I was going to add those guys in, too. Uh, you, have, you have Robertson, Adam Adovino, Pham, Mark Conna. Uh, you know, might they be moved? I think they will. Uh, I, I think so. Um, my podcast co-host Chris McShane had said on Saturday that he felt the Mets needed to go seven and one before the break to show the fans that they weren't going to be sellers. And the Mets have won every game since Chris said that, so uh, they are they are making him look like a smart man. But I really do think that by the All Star break, it's going to be pretty clear if the Mets are buyers or sellers. And if they're sellers, the guys you mentioned, Canna. Um, Adovino, Robertson, Brooks Raley, Tommy Pham. I think some or all of those guys get traded. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see someone like a Starling Marte get traded as well, although Marte has had such a terrible season this year. I don't know who's going to want to take Marte. But if there's a team out there who will take him, I think the Mets would be happy to, uh, to, to, to give some of their younger players a, a chance to play every day and not be blocked by these veterans who maybe aren't part of their future beyond this season. 
that leads exactly into what I was going to say next. You know, younger players. Francisco Alvarez, he had a mammoth homer here yesterday against former Met Miguel Castro. How do Alvarez, you know, Brett Beatty, other top prospects fit in the rest of this year and beyond? So Alvarez and Beatty, I believe, are going to be entrenched at catcher and third base for the Mets for the foreseeable future. Those are guys that were brought up last season in inopportune moments and did not have great debuts, but have really established themselves this year as key players. There's two more position players the Mets have in the upper minors. There's a gentleman named Ronnie Mauricio who has played shortstop most of his minor league career who the Mets are trying to turn into a second baseman. It is not going so well on the defensive side just yet, but Mauricio is a big, tall player who has a lot of natural power, and I think they're going to do whatever they can to find a way to get him into the lineup, whether late this season or certainly next season. And there's someone named, um, oh, there's a couple other players, I guess, but to me, Mauricio is the big one. You know, I think that Mark Vientos, who was up earlier this year, is probably a DH or maybe a left fielder for them. But Vientos had a lot of opportunities to hit, did not show that at the major league level just yet. Uh, I think he puts it together, and I think Vientos does find a place on this team. But the problem the Mets are coming into right now is that almost their entire off, uh, defensive alignment is made up by players who were signed long-term or who are very young. You know, you have Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez on the infield. Alonso is the only one of those guys who isn't signed to a long-term deal or isn't in his first full season, and they're going to extend Alonso. They'd be foolish not to extend him. And then in the outfield, you have Brandon Nimmo in center field, so really – only the corner outfield are the positions that are available to upgrade defensively right now, and neither of their top prospects are really outfielders. So the Mets are going to have to get creative. Maybe they're going to trade somebody, but I, I do think that those two players, Ronnie Mauricio and um, Mark Vientos, are going to have a role, if not on the Mets, in the majors in the next season or two. Okay, let's wrap this up with Otani. He obviously is free agent eligible at the end of this season. I remember hearing that when Otani signed with the Angels, he supposedly didn't want to play in New York. Is that true or maybe just folklore? I, I have, I've heard rumblings of that. I don't believe that's ever been said publicly. But I also think that the Otani who signed with the Angels is not the Otani going into free agency. People thought he was going to be very good. They did not realize they were going to be seeing a once-in-a-generation talent here. And I think once you've established yourself on, a, on, a, on the major league stage, you look to the big stage as the place where you can really blow up. You know, he has the chance to be the Tom Brady of the MLB, you know, where he can be sort of this marquee player that is discussed as an all-time great while he's still playing. And if you're going to be put in that light, there's only a few teams that really have the money and have the media resources put behind you. And two of those teams happen to be in New York City. And one of those teams has an owner who is not afraid to spend his personal wealth to bring someone in. I think Otani makes a whole lot of sense for the Mets, but I think part of that might just be wishful thinking. I do think he's a Dodger next season, but I'm holding out hope that he winds up a Mets. All right, Brian, tell people how to read your stuff and uh, listen to the podcast. Yeah, I am on uh, Mason Avenue. I write a lot there. I also have a podcast called Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series on the Fans First Sports Network. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Brian E. Denap. And uh, thank you for having me on again, Bob. I always appreciate it. 
Always a pleasure. Thanks. And uh, you know, depending on what happens here the next few weeks and months, uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Brian Salvatore of Amazing Avenue. Check out his work.